Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours, Real Crime Stories. And I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad as a detective sergeant. And tonight we have a really special, special guest. She's the author of a book called Behind Blue Curtains, and her name is Lizzie Herzberger. And this actually, even though it's an unusual topic, we're going to talk about her book, it is a real crime story because there was a crime committed here. And we're going to talk to Lizzie about that. And she's going to tell us all about her life as an Amish girl. And then, of course, getting out of that life. Anyway, Lizzie, before, without any further ado, let me welcome you to the show. Welcome, Lizzie Herzberger. Thank you for having me, Bill. It's a, you know, it's a pleasure. I, I somehow got notified by your publicist uh, when you're uh, in regards to your book. And I said, oh, wow, that would be a really interesting person to interview. And I jumped right on it. I notified your publicist. And that's how you got here you know, which I, is pretty amazing. <laughs> yes, I appreciate you and, and taking the time to read the book. That is really um, very, very nice of you. Well, you know, Lizzie, I get people send me books all the time and I don't have the time to read them. Usually they skim them, but I started reading your book and I actually, I couldn't put it down. It was so very interesting. And I, I read the whole thing, which is, as I said, I don't normally do. Mm -hmm. So let, Lizzie, without any further ado, let's get into your story. You grew up in Minnesota, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. As part of an Amish family. So you tell the story. Yeah. So in, in like southeastern uh, Minnesota, and I was just a baby when I moved there. Uh, my grandpa started the community. And the community was very small at first, and then it grew to about 100 families. So now that's that's kind of what it is now, is about 100 families. And it is just, um, you know, one of those... Um, you know, Amish families tend to be kind of small. I mean, some of them are larger, obviously, than that, but it gets split then into districts. So then in each district tends to have its own bishop. So. Also, right. You had a sister and a younger brother, right? Um, a sister. Yep. That's a year younger than I had three younger brothers then. Yeah. So there's five of us. So I was the oldest and we had, um, a small, um, I would say we called it a small, uh, lot or lot, um, right next to our grandparents and our grandparents had a farm, which was very typical back in the seventies and eighties for Amish people to have their own farms, um, milk cows. They would sell the milk right off of the farm in, in those cans, milk cans. And we had, you know, chickens and our own pigs to butcher and, um, so really lived off of the land. And, you know, I will um, say that that is the way it was back, you know, when I was growing up. Now, things have changed. Amish families, unfortunately, are not um, able to live off of the land the, the way they did when I was growing up. So it was very, uh, I lived, lived in a very um, interesting times when you could still live off the farm. And um, I really, um, yeah, got to, you know, work hard. Um, my, um, you know, first memory is, you know, of trying to milk a cow. And, um, it, you know, I was very young. My grandmother was, would teach me how to make bread, you know, and it was so small. I would have, she would set the big bowl on a chair and I would even have a little stool, you know, by it to, to kneel the bread. And we made our own bread and clothes. And um, we had no, no electricity of any kind, no solar panels. Um, 
Um, everything was wood heat. Uh, we had water coming into the house, but it was only cold water. And that was, you know, drinking water. So if we wanted to take a bath, it was heat up the water. Um, and we only did that once a week. That's so you were, you were like a Wim Hofer without even knowing it. <laughs> you were the, the first Wim, Hof Wim Hofers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's the way You know what that it. is? My son does that. It's like, it's supposed really? to, yeah, they take freezing cold showers or they jump into ice cold water and they try to stay in there as long as possible. That's called Wim Hofing. The guy who invented his name is Wim Hof, so it's okay. no big. Uh, but anyway, that's yeah. what that is. But uh, that was a joke, anyway. But I, so you were you were part of the Swartz and Truba Amish, which mm -hmm. prided themselves in having the least contact with any modern conveniences of any uh, should I call it sect of the Amish mm -hmm. people. Yeah, it was, it was so sheltered that, you know, I didn't even know there was any other Amish besides the Swartz and Trooper Amish that we were in. And I was told that is the only, um, you know, we're the only true Amish left. Um, you know, we have the least modern conveniences. And that will give us um, better, basically, rankings or better um, placings going to heaven because the less you have, the, the, the more humble you are. That's what my mother told me. I was Catholic. You know, she said, that, uh, <laughs> you know what I, I never understood? And um, if my mother's listening to this, she's in Texas now staying with my sister. She's okay. 87 years old. But my mother was a very, very strict Catholic. Mm -hmm. And when we had something happen that like we were suffering, my mother would say, offer it up to God. Mm -hmm. And I never understood that to what the hell that meant. What, what you think God likes my suffering, you know? <laughs> But that was old time Catholicism. They believed that stuff, you know. It's so interesting you brought up Catholic. Um, the Amish actually are uh, basically a, a break off, or a um, like years ago they were with the Catholic, and then they decided that the Catholics are too liberal and they wanted to have their own group. So that's really so very common, similar, yeah, background teachings. You know, one of the things when I I read the book and. It, it sort of makes me, uh, me mad. And when people, and we'll get to even other uh, egregious egregious things that they did, but the part of making God God, God a punisher and God a, um, you know, going to be watching over you if you do anything wrong. God-fearing, God-fearing is the number one and a God-punisher. And that's how they controlled you. And I find that, I mean, psychologically that just got to destroy you mm -hmm. yeah i i think that is just something that i really have had to learn to um you know in my mind change that kind of thinking because he he was just viewed as this you know he's watching everything you do and he keeps score in whatever you do that you know is wrong that you're going to get punished for that and it was punished from your parents plus get punishment from uh from god whatever he he tends to um see fit and i just it's a very um unfortunate thing and one of the things that i've discussed with other um people is the way they view the amish as these christian you know god-fearing people but underneath, you know, lies this just whole religious component of things. And it's just a very, um, it's very different, I think, when you get down to really the nitty gritty of who the Amish, um, the ones that I grew up with. Um, there's some very good ones, very good um, God-fearing ones. I have uh, an uncle who's a bishop and um, there's other people in the community, great people. But then 
there is just this, it's a community I feel like that is perfect for a pedophile to live in because you are so closed off from the outside world and you you do not, you know, when I was growing up, you do not call the police. I mean, that was, that was the, I mean, I don't even remember ever anybody even ever calling the police for anything, whether it was somebody, um, like my dad had a sawmill and I remember um, once in a while things would get stolen or um, people would take things. He never called to make a police report. You, you just didn't do that. You forgave them and you just said, okay, well, they must have needed it more than I did. And you left it at that. Well, I, I read in your book how that if there was a big disagreement among, among Amish people that couldn't be resolved, the one family would just leave. Mm -hmm. They would move away. Yes, I mean that, that. That sounds pretty bizarre too, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we can't we can't work this out, so we're just going to move mm -hmm. on. We're going to we're going to get out of here, mm -hmm. right? And they definitely believe in like you would never take one Amish would never take another Amish man to court um, for like suing him for, you know, if he owed him money or something, you know, so therefore they resolved all their problems. They tried to resolve all their problems in the with the church. And then if you couldn't and you just had a disagreement, that is the way they fixed it. They moved away and started a new community often. Now, Lizzie, the, the there's the book on the screen behind blue curtains. And you call it a true crime memoir of an Amish woman's survival, escape, and, and pursuit of justice. But the term behind blue curtains is more than just a term. It's sort of a metaphor for life. And the blue curtains are covering up all the horrible things that ha happen behind those blue curtains. A am I right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And then and you read the book. So it's such the, the point of the blue curtains was to show how how everything there's rules for everything including the color of your curtains it has to be a certain color and my mother was just um she was um very spirited i will say and she loved to push the rules a little bit and if she wanted to have you know them be a little bit thicker or a little bit lighter blue you know um it was just an example of how you got in trouble with the preachers for the color of your curtains. You know, then it went all the way down to, you know, what you ate and what you did. And, um, you know, it's just endless. I said, there's rules for everything. And one of the hardest things um, was for me after I left the Amish is to be able to decide um, like, okay, today, let's say, what am I gonna eat? Because when you were growing up, Amish, they just told you, this is what you're going to eat. You don't question, you don't do anything. So the decision make, to make a decision was extremely difficult. And I still struggle with that once in a while. Like, okay, what am I going to really do today? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, my wife tells me what I'm going to eat. I don't. <laughs> she says, this is what you're having for dinner. You like it or not. She throws it in front of me. That's, a, that's actually not true. But no, I, I you know. I, I reading the book, I was just like, how could you intellectually grow in that environment? You really can't. And the part of that, and I didn't want to get to this part too fast, is that at the age of 14, they stop educating you. You're not allowed to go to school anymore because in their words, they're afraid you'll get too worldly and you'll learn too much mm -hmm. and you'll leave you'll leave the community, which is uh, probably very true, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, our friend Molly has just arrived. Okay. Molly, how are you? Uh, I was like, we were like, where's Molly? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hey. How are you? She came I, in the 
sorry, but I'm just going to be honest. I'm out here on a mission with a cult. So apropos. Well, I just like to introduce you. This is Molly Maeve Egan, and she okay. is a she she is a coach. She's a sort of a spiritual advisor, right? Mm -hmm. And she she helped you write your book. And I, I was so happy to have her on here with you because I'm sure it keeps you company here. To and a little, uh, you know, it's like having a uh, a friend with you while you're doing this, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this isn't easy to tell this this tale, right? No, that's yeah. She helped get get the book together. Without her, um, you know, it probably would most likely just still be in my notebook. You know, um, because of like we were talking about the level of education. You know, ended at eighth grade, and remember, my teacher was was an Amish. You know, Amish with an eighth grade education. She, she was an evil uh, Amish bitch too. That teacher. <laughs> I don't pull any punches here. I mean, I, I, remember, I think she hit you one time, right? I don't either because, you know, I had to keep my mouth shut and censored. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't have to do that. That's the beautiful thing about being a retired New York City cop, you know, and uh, a comic and an actor and have a podcast. You could say what you want, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was... <clears throat> it was very i've gotten more uh, quite a few comments about this Amish teacher and um you know like molly could um verify you know we only put a couple stories in there um they at that time when um the teacher had every right she could discipline us to whatever was her choice i mean and it was a leather strap that she kept in her in her pocket and she used it i mean she was not afraid to use it um and um it, it's a um we were trying to show too how anybody that's older than you has um, the authority to discipline you in the Amish community. So let's say, you know, you're visiting your grandparents. They're then in authority and they have, they, they absolutely can, you know, beat the crap out of you. It's whatever they feel. Yeah, and, and you had some creepy people in that community. I tell you that, you know, just because they were older than you, uh, it's, that's, that's pretty scary. You know, we talk about the whole, mind control thing about the God fearing and the God punishing thing. Mm -hmm. uh, now add to that, that they won't let you out to know what the hell's going on in the outside world. I remember I loved it when you got to listen to the radio and you, <laughs> you liked, you liked rock and roll at an early age, right? I was like, wow, look at that. You know that. I mean, you just, it's just, you hear the music and it's something that's like, Oh my God. It's like, it's like you see when those little babies, they can't hear and they, they, they fix their ears and all of a sudden they can hear for the first time. And they're like, oh, my God, right? That's mm -hmm. what I, when I was reading that, I was thinking, wow, imagine like being so isolated, no electricity, and all of a sudden you hear rock and roll on the radio. <laughs> yeah, and we had, um, yeah, me and my sister, we loved it. We would we had one, one Walkman radio eventually, and we would take turns, or one of us would have one um, had, you know, um, piece whatever you call it and the other one have the other one and we listened and it was just like this wonderful thing because in the end we were not allowed to have any musical instruments of any kind not even the harmonica it was wow. the only songs that were saying was in this plain amish um or um german uh, language you know that's why you don't see any amish rock and roll bands you know they're not allowed to, they're not allowed to play instruments that'd be pretty funny though imagine that yeah. <laughs> Here are the barn builders. Um, you know? yeah. 
this rock and roll band. They're taking America by storm. The Barn Razors, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone here named oh Schwartz God, Moses who says hello from the Schwarzenegger house. You know that person? What is the name? Schwartz Moses. He says hello from the Schwarzenegger oh, yes. house. That is somebody. He's in, in the live chat. I like to shout out to some of the people in the live chat. Yes. We have, we have some regulars who are we? Dawn Marie, hello. Uh, MC's Audio, Peter Pranzo, Harlem Raiders, retired lieutenant, Princess Mitch, uh, Melody McAtee, great to have you here. Hoppy Hoppy, I love that name, Hoppy Hoppy. Uh, you should be in a rock and roll band too, Hoppy Hoppy. Uh, who else we got here? Scott Wagner, David Herbsman, Rachella Pranzo, Peter Pranzo's not here unless Rachella's here. Scotty Wagner, of course. Jessica Shades, hello to everybody. Let me get back to this interview because this is the most fascinating interview and we have to get i hate to say it but to the meat and potatoes of this right of what uh what the horror of this was and you spoke briefly before about pedophilia and i you know i have some uh i i was in homicide for 10 years but on the same floor at 3280 broadway and 133rd street and broadway in manhattan we had manhattan special victims so because i was a boss I would sometimes cover special victims and I'd go out with them on their jobs. And I had such great respect for the detectives and special victims because it's such a very, very difficult crime to investigate. And they were so good at their job. They were so patient and they were such great, great interviewers. And, and you might say, oh, why, why, how do you know that? Because they got to the truth. They got to what was going on. And, when I watch them, a lot of times, look, my guys were the best of the best. Homicide was amazing, but I always um, so respected the special victims detectives. Anyway, so I had some experience in sex crimes and going out on sex crimes. And you mentioned pedophilia, and you talk about, when we talk about rape for folks that aren't in the police business, there's forcible rape, of course, and then there's something called infancy, right? And then there's also incapable of consent because of alcohol and drugs and that stuff. And besides the force that was involved in, in your incidents, there was also infancy because you were only 14 years old. And someone under, at least in New York State, it's uh, under the age of uh, 17 is unable con to consent because of infancy. I don't know what it is in Minnesota. but So this was more than just, and you say pedophilia. Of course it was pedophilia. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Um, I'll just back up a little bit when you're talking about, um, yeah, victims and stuff. So I volunteer with victim services now and the, um, there is so much gratitude I have for all the people working with victims. Like you said, they are so, um, they're just special. They're special people that know how to interview and how to be there and how to comfort a victim and how to be supportive. And I am um, truly thankful that I ended up having a very uh, good victim services advocate that was um, with me through the process of the legal system. And she inspired me to um, volunteer with them. And it is one of the most rewarding things that I'm doing right now. And I do that weekly. And um, so going back, yes, to the 
Um, uh, excuse me. I'm I'm sorry, Lizzie. I I realize when I take myself out of the picture, I have no sound, and I was trying to talk to you, and then you couldn't hear me. No, but go you, ahead. You can. <laughs> you're you're referring to Molly as your advocate and your sort of coach, correct or no? No, actually, in in our local county, we had okay. uh, victim services. Um, yeah, she works for victim services, and when I met her, um, she just she was just so helpful, and because I just had l so little knowledge of anything, even though I had left the Amish, you know, a long time before that, I just didn't know anything about, you know, what you know, really, what does victim services do and how can they um, support you and how can they help you uh, prepare you for, you know, I was preparing to go to trial and they were just wonderful. They could, you know, obviously the DA could talk to me, but um, she could explain things. And I think in almost any county, you can seek out victim services and there is such a need um, for even more of them um, to, to be there. And in my uh, county, um, Tri-State County, actually, I can, we can volunteer. And I get, took training, and so I get called, and I get called out um, sometimes. And it's, it's um, yeah, I've really learned a lot by volunteering. Lizzie, let's back up to, uh, I spoke about before how at the age of 14, an Amish girl is required to stop getting educated. They take you out of school, and they make you do this job called the MAUDE, M-A-U-D-E. And basically what you are is a housekeeper that works for a family uh, that could have a young husband, a wife, kids. But talk about the perfect storm of putting a young girl in a horrendous situation for a sexual assault or sexual abuse. You want to you want to comment on that, um, Molly? I'd like to hear from Molly. Molly, yes, would you like to comment ahead. on that? Um, about being. Young... You know, a, a maud, no, a maud going into this situation where she um, is a housekeeper, basically well, almost like a slave, really. Yeah, I like to use the word indentured servitude because she wasn't just taking care of the kids. She was milking the cows and doing farmhand work and cooking and taking care of everyone emotionally and, oh, physically, apparently. So for nothing, this was her life. So slavery and indentured servitude, you know, call it whatever you want, but definitely in that category in my mind. But I think it took some convincing to uh, let, to show Lizzie that. Lizzie was still a little set in her ways when we started this. And it took some convincing that not all of this was okay in my looking back on it. Yeah, because it seems like the perfect way to make someone psychologically like a prisoner, almost like you, you know what Stockholm syndrome is, right? Absolutely. And th there's a form of Stockholm syndrome to that because you're identifying with your captors and your captors are your family, your mem and your dad, right? See, mm -hmm. I did read the book, right? Yes, you did. Yes, and they, you know, yeah. they gave the little wink to the sexual abuse too. The whole community does because it's almost like. Everyone knows about it, but yet they punish you more for listening to a radio than they would to have someone sexually assault you. So okay. it's bad, Molly. A lot of cases coming out now where plain men are being arrested, and when they're asked about the, the rapes, they admit it. They say, I didn't know it was wrong. It's the way it's always been. And that's a direct quote. They don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, in reading that book, it's almost like, they know what's going to happen to a maud. They know it's going to, it probably happens to every single one of them. 
but yet your parents are putting you in this horrendous situation because it's almost culturally accepted that that's what's going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. And it, it's often, um, uh, you know, I believe without a doubt, my mom knew what was going on and um, she just accepted it because that, that happened to her. And then unfortunately, you know, in the book, I talk about that my dad, you know, did the same thing. You know, he raped a hired girl too. And it's just like, it's just this, this cycle of, it's ridiculous. I mean, and I don't understand how people think that this is acceptable behavior. I mean, yes, it maybe happens generation after generation, but at some point, you know, like I, I said, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to let my daughter live like that. I mean, that is just outrageous. Yeah. Cause like on one hand, you know, they are so strict about keeping you from the evils of the outside world, but yet that's protecting them from making it an insular community so they're not called upon by the powers that be, the law and the government, that, wait a minute, there's some horrendous shit happening in that community. And, you know, you can't just have, look, there's religious freedom and all of that stuff. You're not going to have a bunch of stormtroopers come in and go, what's going on in here, you know? But it's horrendous. And it's not just the Amish community. There's several other religions that have this same exact problem. And look, I mentioned I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Horrendous, the pedophile situation in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. right? And how it's been hidden and, you know, perpetrators of the sexual abuse have been transferred and moved on. And, I mean, the victims are still coming out after years and years and years later, you know? And speaking of that, some... And that's one of the things that the the community is so in general is so against me for is that they believe that because he confessed in church about you know 28 years ago that he whatever he confessed to he confessed to something um and so then he got punished for six weeks being shunned and therefore after he makes his confession or anybody confesses after that you are never to talk about that again and i think that is absolutely absurd when you think about how long it takes some victims to come forward i mean it takes well that's that's where religion goes head on collision into law and you know it law says no no that's a crime and i mean We'll, we'll talk about, we'll get to your case um, a little later on, but suffice it to say that the person that committed these crimes against you got basically a slap on the wrist. Yeah, we didn't talk much about what happened after the sentencing, but the, that's exactly what he got. Um, you know, we didn't, it wasn't really about what, what happened to him. It was about how Lizzie got to that moment, but he spent about six weeks in jail. Yeah, I saw the 45 days it said, yep. and he probably did less than that, right? Something like that. And then he's on probation for 10 years. Um, but the unfortunate thing is that he does not have to register as a sex offender because that law wasn't in place in 1989 when it, when it happened. Um, which is one of the biggest problems I have with it because of him being a deacon in the Amish church. Um, we know that he has access to, to young girls uh, still to this day. And now Lizzie and uh, you, in the book, you said that he had raped you 24 times. Is that correct? Well, that's, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, 24 times is what I have in my diary. 
Now there, the chances are that there's, that was, is there's more than that, but that is what we could, um, we could use uh, when I, you know, reported my cases, we have it 24 times that I has have this distinct um, red circles in my diary. And I have other things that I can reference it to. And so it is just one of those um, things we say 24 times and um, most likely it was more. Right. And, and besides that, you had some awfully creepy other guys. You had an uncle. Uh, his name was um, Uncle Abe. And what was his, his wife was creepy, too. And, and I have an Uncle Abe, right? I was like, when you, when you told me what he would do, he would have his, basically his penis in his pocket, right, and ask you to reach in. I mean, yeah, that, that's what, how we all think of Amish people. Yes, would you like a, uh, you know. He's a candy. A piece What's of that? He bribed it with a being. A, he has a piece of candy in his pocket, um, and I will just back up and say, okay, it wasn't his wife that was creepy. Um, I didn't talk about his wife. Um, it was my aunt, my aunt, his and so, yeah, his sister, his sister. Oh, it was his sister? Okay, yes, was, that's okay. Don't and, and, and Iva and Uncle Abe. Right? Yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. And you know what has become clear to me since I, since the book was released, I've went back and talked to relatives. Um, they've asked me to come out and talk about it. It was common knowledge that people knew that these two were involved in incest. So why didn't somebody do something about it? Like, I mean, to me, it, it made it so clear and why my aunt was always so hostile towards me because I believe she knew that he was doing stuff to me and obviously he was doing stuff to her too. Um, so it, it, it's just this, this ridiculous thing. And what, what I'm appalled about is both of these, Aunt Iva and Uncle Abe, have gotten married and they have children and grandchildren and they have their heads stuck in their sand, uh, in the sand and saying that, you know, you know, no, nothing. I didn't expect an Amish woman to say he's got his head up his ass. I knew you wouldn't say that. <laughs> That's what we would say in New York, though, right? <laughs> You're just still too holy and too nice to say that. <laughs> so the sinner, Bill, the sinner will say it. <laughs> and maybe Molly. even not. Maybe or even Molly, Molly from Brooklyn. yeah, Molly. Yeah. Yeah. Molly she might Molly. jump in and say it too. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things I yeah, don't try to. But, but, but going back to it is what I think is so sad is that some of these, um, both of them have kids that have left the Amish, but yet they still have this mindset that they think that their parents um, didn't do anything wrong. And now they're having children and they're doing nothing, in my opinion, to educate themselves and educate their these Aunt Iva and Uncle Abe's grandchildren, and they let them be around these. I mean, I wouldn't let my, I would say I wouldn't even take my dog that I don't like out to Uncle Abe's for him to watch because he's a pedophile. Yeah, and, and they even had a term for the rapes called mixing a batch, right? I was like, wow, obviously if they have a term for it, everyone knows about it, right? Yeah, that's a secret code. Right, right. Hey, uh, I'm going to go mix a batch. I'll see you guys at the barn burning later. You know, I don't know what they, what they say, but... Listen, I got to go to a quick commercial and we'll come back and we'll get deeper into this, okay? okay. Let me just go to this. Uh, we have a couple of sponsors. Folks, if you're looking to move out of the New York area because the taxes are too high, you hate the politics, whatever reason you want to leave, Carol Waters is a realtor in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Carol used to work as a, a bartender at Fitzpatrick's uh, Hotel in Midtown. Her husband, Rob Mayen, was a police officer. NYPD, and then he rolled over to the fire department. Now Rob Mayen and Carol Waters sell real estate together down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and they're two top salespeople down there. 
So if you're looking to move down to Myrtle Beach, even if you want a rental property, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681, or you can email her at carolwaterssellsmyrtlebeach at gmail.com, and obviously the uh, flyer is right on the screen there. If any of you guys are getting in trouble, like I know you might be, we have a great attorney. He's a big supporter of police off the cuff. He's a retired police officer. His name is Joe Murray, and he's got a website, joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray's a great attorney, and I highly recommend him. So if you're getting any trouble, any of you Amish people, I don't know if he'll go to Minnesota. So, <laughs> but, but they're he'll handle everywhere. Cases. They're yeah, they're everywhere. everywhere. There's pedophiles all over. I don't know if he wants those kind of cases, but Joe Murray's a great attorney. <laughs> I told you, I told you, Lizzie, we'd have some laughs, even though we yeah, had this very, you. very serious, uh, serious show. But we'll definitely mm -hmm. have some laughs. Yeah, I mean, it's a community that you know. Reading the book, I was just like, everyone knows about this. The whole community knows about it. Everyone's like giving that little wink. Oh, yeah, you're going to mix a batch. Yeah, whatever, you know. Uh, but don't listen to the radio while you're doing it, you know. <laughs> it's like, it, it's so, so crazy, you know. And then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to make you guys. Blue. Uh, you know. But, you know, whatever you're doing back there is all right. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is that, right? Well, and I think one thing that um, doesn't talked about a lot is uh, you're saying all the, the Amish are very aware of what's going on, obviously, because they, they often go confess in church. And if they confess before uh, basically they're caught, they have better, you know, better, that makes them better status, better, less punishment. Um, and but what I also have a problem with is some of these... Um, people that live right around the Amish that we would call English people are also very aware of what's going on. And some of them um, refuse to sell my book because what this is doing is, is showing what some of these Amish people are doing. And, and this, um, a lot of the communities, people are bringing lots of tourists and money in. And this is, you know, so they, they want to keep the Amish name as these good, wonderful people that make furniture and do barn raisings and, and things like that. And yes, that that happens, but, but it, you also need to take care of these kids that are in this community suffering. And I think it's just ridiculous that people can't get it together and, and say, okay, for the sake of a child, if I see something is happening or something's wrong, I need to report it, report it to somebody, social right. service. You know what I mean? Do something about you it. Could, you could report it to Harrison Ford when he shows up, like in the movie witness, you know, <laughs> someone just brought, someone just brought him up. So I thought I would say, yeah, the, oh the movie God. witness, uh, you're stupid. That was another word, right? Where that meant you were fat or something. What was that? Mm -hmm. Uh, English, I've English ever, kicked that guy's ass. So, yeah. I, I couldn't say that. So bad. <laughs> I, I remember, yeah, I remember when that movie came out and how, um, this is obviously how sheltered I am. I thought I couldn't even watch it because obviously there's a scene in there um, that's quite racy. Um, so Don't know much about history. <laughs> Don't know much biology. Remember they sang that song in the barn? They were sinning right then, singing that song. That's true. That's <laughs> I love true. that's a great song, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Cook um, sang that song. What's his first name? Sam uh, Cook. Sam no, Cook. Sam Cook was an old time singer. Yeah, it was who sang a great, great, great song. Anyway, Lizzie, I want to ask you something too. 
I wrote so many questions down, but I, I when I do this show, it just becomes a conversation. That's the way I really like it. But if I want to ask a question, is there anything you miss about living in that Amish society? Yes, there is. I miss um, the um, the like the basically like the closeness of a community, um, and obviously not the extra, the bad stuff, but let's say, you know, you're, you get together for every, every other Sunday you have church, but then, um, the Sunday in between you'd get together and, you know, we would, um, obviously eat lots of good Amish food. I miss that. And just, you know, communicating and talking and, you know, what, what's, what's some good Amish food? What do they make? Oh gosh, they make the best pies. Oh my, pies are really, really good. I um, knew they were going to have good pies, like you know, <laughs> my and, and Ida's pies. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> my, my my grandmother made the best like custard pumpkin pie that I have ever had. I mean, you and she didn't have a recipe, and that's the thing. You know, some of those things you can't turn down. And she made the best um, Christmas candy. It was like this candy whip. Uh, cornflakes and Cheerios. Oh my goodness. It was just like the best. I mean, so she you, was, have, you have some good memories of, of I growing do, up. I do. I really do. I do. And I, I want people to know that I do. And I'm not, um, you know, like I've said, they're not all uh, pet files. They aren't. Uh, right. there's lots of them, um, but they're not. And thankfully some of them, um, I know in some families, like if quite a few siblings, you know, there's incest going on. It doesn't mean that the whole family is, but a lot of times it tends to um, obviously spill over and they, you know, they all tend to be, but, but I, I, I know some cases where they aren't, they just, they just knew in their mind that something was wrong and that they were like, I'm not going to do that to my sister. You know, now, now your mother, your, uh, your mem, right. Mm -hmm. Is that how mm -hmm. she, you don't know who your father is, right? No. And you've never found that out. You've you've been on a search for that, basically your whole life, right? I, I mean, look, I look. I'm not trying. If I hit you no, with that question no, too fast, no. but it is in no. the book, mm -hmm. and you talk about it, and you're on a search mm -hmm. for your your a birth father. But mm -hmm. so, which means your mother had an affair. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, maybe I'm, I was wrong then. <laughs> no. Um, so she left the Amish when she was um, in her early twenties and she, it was in like the early seventies. And uh, so what she did, she um, worked at a restaurant and some places and she kind of lifted up and was pretty wild. And basically she got pregnant. <laughs> she was pretty wild. She left the Amish. What is that? Oh, she jumped the fence. That's yeah, what you guys you go. call that one. Mm -hmm. I, I yep. got all these Amish terms now. When I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back in the city. I'm going. I may jump the fence tonight. You know. <laughs> yeah. So that's what and did. mix a batch. You know? <laughs> that's 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 terrible. You know, terrible. You know what? The other thing I, I thought was a little bit sad, and and you know, some nationalities, some ethnic groups are the same way, and it's uh, not showing affection or not being able to hug and kiss or whatever. You know within the family, you know, just, and that, that could be damaging too. Very damaging. I mean, I never heard my parents uh, when I was growing up or grandparents or anybody, nobody told any, told anybody they loved them. Right. Or, you know, the, the only affection I seen was when there was baby, when they were babies and you would hold them, but there was a very strict on how much you can hold that baby because if you were holding it too much and giving it too much affection, you were spoiling it. Oh God. That's so crazy. 
it's very sad, especially when you obviously get into some love languages. Some kids, you know, if that love language was they needed physical touch, imagine how unloved and unwanted they felt. Um, or even uh, words of affirmation. You know, you didn't tell your child, good job. You only said you should have gotten that done faster. You know what I mean? It, it's just. Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, things that a psychologist would tell you that is crazy. That's so damaging, you know, like to someone's psyche. You know, and Molly, are you are you um is your ethnicity Irish or is that through marriage? Your last name is. Uh... I am proudly about half Irish. So you know what I'm talking about. Irish people don't really like to show affection much either, unless it's just my family. <laughs> I don't know. Well. You know, I don't think my my family wasn't big on affection. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, there might have been similar. You know, sometimes the mother character was the hardest one to write just because nobody could figure her out. And my mother passed many, many years ago, but there were aspects of Lizzie's mother not the worst aspects that were similar to my experience, but for example, wanting my mother to touch me, even if it wasn't gentle, just wanting that contact, wanting that physical love, you know, and, and craving it. So I did go there, although my mother was nothing like Lizzie's mother. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to say. Right, right, right. But just the whole thing of the, the, the lack of affection is, uh, I, I'm not saying my mother didn't. My mother was more affectionate than I'm uh, saying, but my father wasn't very much, you know. And it, to show affection took a great uh, deal right. of effort, I think, you know. So imagine you're a 14-year-old girl who's never been shown any affection and, you know, a man, like, gently brushes your hair back with his hand or you, he, you feel how warm his skin is. It doesn't matter what's going on. You're going to crave that because it's inside you. Crave, yes. Craving. And I'm sure in the book, you're almost like afraid to write that, but it's so, that is so true, you know, because. I wanted to really speak about grooming. Um, yes. The, a lot of the Me Too stuff was happening, but nobody was, I felt nobody was really ready to talk about the grooming process. And this was a, the perfect chance to do that. Yeah, there was there was so 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 much of that in that community. But you know, some of the other things that I noticed with your mem also, it seemed like she would go out drinking too and come home hammered, right? With her friend, <laughs> I was like, oh, they're breaking all these rules. But they, you know, <laughs> and then you notice like, well, they they called it going to the chiropractor. Was that what it was? Yes. yes. They 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 had terms for everything. You know, yeah, jumping know, the fence, going to the chiropractor, was getting hammered. You know, I was like. <laughs> she, um, yeah, and that was her way of um, obviously dealing with, I mean, she didn't want to get pregnant with me and she ended up going Amish and getting married. She didn't want to do that, but she did. And that's the way she was dealing with it. She would go out. I mean, people, um, yeah, she would go to yeah bars and wherever she went. And, and and how did she go to a bar? She didn't wear her Amish gear, right? She, yes, had to, she, she, had to, she did? She did. And that's actually, I think that gave her more, um, how would you say, um, she gave her a lot more attention. I mean, seeing an Amish woman in a bar, I mean, for sure, you're going to have some some uh, people coming over. Oops, there we go. Right. I got to um, remove. Uh, okay, oh, she, go. She's okay. back. She's okay. back. You, lo you lost your signal for a second. Probably, yeah. 
Molly. Yep. You're back though. You're back. So she would show up at a bar in Amish. Mm -hmm. And then here's one of the things that um, I tried to talk about a little bit is is I how can't hear anything. Oh, Molly's we can hear not you. hearing. But we can hear her. We can hear you, but you can't hear us. I don't hear anything. Uh, you're on your phone, right? Can you hear us now? I can't hear you guys. Should I go back and go out? Yeah, sign back? sign out and come back on. I can even remove you and she there can come go. back on. Okay. Uh, yeah, sometimes that happens. You could lo yeah. lose a signal out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's just you know unbelievable the the whole the whole situation how they keep you you know in a certain uh, behavior by controlling you by just controlling you through uh, these. Can you hear us now, Molly? Yep. All right, you're back. Look at that. That's the that's that's how you fix all electronic devices. You turn it off and turn it back on, right? Right. Did they teach you that in the Amish world? Oh, you had no electricity. No. Nope. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Yep. No. Nope. And I grew up with rotary phone, so I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to, um, if I may, and we you, we covered the fact that that uh, minister, whoever was, uh, he assaulted you twenty four times. And I saw you had a um, in your impact statement, which I thought was like incredible and incredibly touching. But just you wrote, I at 14 years old, I was denied a high school education and forced into modern slavery, which is really what it was. And that we talked about before uh, being a maud, which was a, a, a indentured servant, according to Molly. And she's correct more than I was. Uh, so and so paid my parents a few dollars a week. To live with him and his wife as their domestic servant. And it was my job to wake up before dawn and help them take care of their home, four young children, and a farm until after dark. And, I mean, this is the perfect storm of how the sexual assaults happen. Being in someone's home, you're a young 14-year-old girl, you know, and, and you're, you're basically like a slave. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the person's going to think he could do whatever he wants to you, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And um, I appreciate you bringing up the impact statement. Um, you know, I'm, Molly definitely helped me with that. And I'm, I'm very grateful um, that I ended up reading it. And I will say that the judge, when he responded to it, um, he got emotional two times um, speaking of it. And I thought it was something I had never even, you know, heard of. But he was, he, he charged him the best you know, with what he could. Obviously, the laws in 1989 were horrible. They still are. Um, you know, you get charged more. Um, yeah, I mean, for certain other crimes than you do for um, sexual uh, assault crimes. And well, uh, within your community, they called rape an extramarital affair, mm -hmm. according to your impact I, statement. Mm -hmm. yep, yep. And I mean, mm -hmm. and they blame me. They blame mm -hmm. me. I instigated it at 14. I instigated it, and I enticed him. Um, which is just absurd to think um, that you can just turn that and not put any blame because they're trying to take the blame off of him. And they still did because they sat you know, every time he had to come to court for, you know, a plea bargain, all those different stuff, you know, loads of, of uh, community members, Amish and non-Amish, came to support. And he was a pedophile. I mean, that's exactly what he was. Well, I, I want to read one other sentence that you wrote. You wrote... Um... I want to remind you, I was not only a child and a virgin, 
I was too young to legally consent to anything, let alone sexual relations. And we spoke about not only was it a rape by force, but it was a rape by something known as infancy, mm -hmm. that you were too young to consent, even though you weren't consenting anyway, mm -hmm. but that's, you were 14 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the horrendous nature of this, you know, and that, mm -hmm. that you got to the judge and he got emotionally, uh, you know, touched by this situation, but yet the whole religious protection that this gets is, is, is horrendous, you know? Uh, people in the chat wanted to know, Lizzie, and I think I know the answer to this. Uh, when did you leave? And I think you first left at 15, but you left officially forever at 17, right? Yeah, I left at 17 and then I actually went back for three more months when I was like 19 and then left again. Um, was that for the pie? <laughs> <laughs> you came back because you missed that pie so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That'll be in my next book. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Lizzie, do you think there's any way um, that this could be made into a movie or 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 a, a TV show? Or yes, I we're mean... trying to find Reese Witherspoon as we speak. Oh, uh, to play to play Lizzie. I tell you, Lizzie, Lizzie really let her hair down, though, when she got out of this. Look, I mean, you know, she was wearing that one leopard outfit. I was like, oh, my God. Do it all. You know, I, I have it up on the screen. It's, ta it's taken a minute to load. There's, there's your conservative outfit on the screen yeah. now. But uh, then you have that little leopard print shirt. I'm saying not only did she get out of the Amish family, but look at this. Wow, wow, wow. I got to give this photo credit to uh, Red Canvas. She did an amazing job <laughs> doing this. And uh, yes, I had to, yeah, I had to do some of those fun photos. And um, so, yes, thank you for saying that. We That is my ultimate goal because there's so much in my story. I couldn't put everything in the book. I mean, you know, I have so many, yeah, different things that happen. So that is the goal that we will have um, my uh, life turned into, you know, Movie. Now you got some when this uh, when you first decided to prosecute your um, your attacker. Let's call him your attacker. You got some death threats and some uh, really nasty mail from people in the uh, Schwarzenturba Amish uh, sect there, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how did you deal with that, Angela Ang? Thank you so much for the nine ninety nine super sticker. You're the best. You and Joe Murray keep me in uh, French fries. Keep me in, keep me in Aunt, Aunt Ida's pies. <laughs> Aunt Ida's Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, the answer to how did I handle it? Um, I, I basically use, I say, I mean, death threats are a little different, but any, any negative, um, negative feedback that I get, I just turn it around and use it, um, you know, that I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm hitting a nerve. I know that I'm inspiring people to step out and report their cases and to be more watchful under these Amish uh, children, the little children that are walking to school. Um, they are vulnerable little children. Not all of them are getting abused, but way, way, way too many of them are getting abused sexually, physically, emotionally. We've talked about um, all that. And it, it's just, um, you know, I just encourage everybody, please be more aware and educate yourself. If you choose, this is the, the Amish uh, kids that choose to leave the Amish, 
educate yourself and figure out what really, who, who is a victim? What are the laws? Um, so many things, because it takes years to figure out um, some, like, there's often I've heard a victim say, well, I really didn't know. Or um, I've also gotten this where it says, well, I let him do it. Just because you let him do it, you were a child, doesn't but, you know, you know, Lizzie, that's how they screw up your head, though. That's the one that we we spoke before about Stockholm syndrome. And it, that's that's it. That's it. That is Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. You're blamed for the crime that's happening to you. And it's mm -hmm. so it's so horrible. And because they're also abusing you psychologically, so badly psychologically. And then the sexual abuse is easy because, mm -hmm. you know, now you, you don't know which end is up, you know? Mm -hmm. Very, yeah, very unfortunate. Um, and I wish if, if they would just, you know, I say, if you want to be Amish, be Amish, but at least um, allow your children to be more educated and at least let them have sex education. That is, they're not allowing any sex education. So with no sex education, you know what's happening. It's just, it's just brewing. I mean, these kids become teenagers pre-teenagers, they don't know what's going on. They're just, then that's where all this self-exploring and all this stuff, you know, starts happening. Well, I mean, uh, Lizzie, you wrote in your book that at the age of 12, you got your period. You had no idea what was going on and no one told you. And they would like, they would say, Oh God is punishing you. I mean, it's like, I hear that. I just want to pull my hair out that I don't have anymore. You know? Uh -huh. That, well, uh, yeah, yeah, and not t telling you from there, then, okay, at least tell you a little bit about how babies are made, how, you know, you know, how, how do you, you know, reproduce? I mean, you know what I mean? Just give you something. And you had to, like, it was so, um, I'll tell you how sheltered um, it was when, um, uh, I, I've heard this many times when some Amish uh, leave the Amish guys, they have, they're unaware that women get their period. I mean, they, they've never been taught. I mean, they in general, the I always say the, the boys know more about reproduction because of living on the farm, being out in the barn and things like that, the cows and the horses. But the girls, we were always like completely, at certain times we were not allowed in the barn at all. We were never for sure why, but that was during whatever mating season. Yeah, but you, you know, it was weird too, that there was almost like a ritual where you guys would have this thing where, I don't know, you... I, I'm having just not the, a total recall of it in the book, but it was almost like what I would compare playing spin the bottle or playing post office as a kid. You would go in a dark area and someone would come in and kiss you or grab you or something. What was that called? Is, is, that, is that jumping the fence or mixing the batch? No, What's that no. called? <laughs> that is a – Molly would love to talk about this. This is um, something that – I don't know that anybody's ever published in a book before, but it is about how these young folks at weddings are expected uh, um, to basically, it's some sort of like, you know, form of dating, if you want to call it. But yes, it is like this, this chasing each other around, like you said, kind of the, um, and then um, there's but an that sort that's sort of allowed too. And that's a, like a, a very sexual thing. You know, I, I, I just, when I, when I was reading, I was thinking of myself as a kid when I, I remember in sixth grade, we would first started kissing, but we kissed like with our mouth open, like <laughs> that was like the sixth grade makeout kiss. We used to call it, you know, and uh, we play like uh, what was it called post office uh, or spin the bottle, you know, and then the you spin the bottle in a circle and point to a girl you wanted to kiss and you go or in a post office, you say, Pass or fail. I don't know if that's the right game, but anyway, that's what it reminded me of. But 
I was an Amish, so I mm -hmm. could do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, Molly probably wants to say something about this, but my worst <laughs> thing about that is that that what was allowed is that these married Amish men were were suppo supposedly they're monitoring it, but to me it was some sort of ridiculous like them watching you know i mean next to like porn or something because they were watching this happen you know and they were all cheering and chanting and you know it's just, just see that that's what sounds so crazy because like you can't listen to the radio but you can play this game of sexual abuse <laughs> right <laughs> molly you have any comment on that I mean, I just, it took me a long time to just understand. I'd be like, what? Are you sure? You know, I just was like blown away listening to a lot of it. You know, I, I mean, I just had to wade through this stuff and in disbelief. Uh, but know? it's like a cultural thing that's come down through the years that it it's not something that this, uh, you know generation of amish have invented it's been passed down through the ages and it's like but it's really the whole thing is all based on sexual perversion right yeah it's it's so no one if you didn't uncover this or write this book no one would even know about this no one would have any idea that this is um this is the way it is you know and it's not and again it's not just the Amish community. I'm going to put your book up on the screen. Uh, it, it's it's on like tape delay here. It's coming up though. It's uh, folks. Anyone that would like to buy this book, and as I said, I couldn't put it down when I read it. It's called Behind Blue Curtains. It's a true crime memoir of an Amish woman's survival, escape, and pursuit of justice. And it took Lizzie Hirschberger 30 years to get the courage. And to have the right person to stand by her in regards to Molly to be able to write this book. And as I said, I when I picked it up, I couldn't put it down. I read the whole book. And you guys watch this show all the time. I get books all the time. I can't read every single one of them because I'd just i be doing nothing else but, uh, but reading books. But I really recommend it. It's on Amazon. You can pick it up behind blue curtains. By Lizzie Hersberger and Molly Maeve Egan. And that's Egan with an extra A. I made the mistake for <laughs> I made the mistake already that I uh, didn't uh, spell it correctly the last time. She's back in. You're back. You keep you keep uh, leaving us. But literally I'm trying to help somebody escape a situation. I just tried to find a good Wi-Fi spot and I pulled over and it's dark. You know, this is my life. Like so <laughs> Well, you I was just giving you kudos for um helping Lizzie write this book. You gave her the courage. Mm -hmm. You helped her out with the writing. And the book is a real uh, masterpiece. And I hope uh, one day you could make it into a, you know, a screenwriter can get a hold of it and That's write a good tr treatment for it, you know, and Thank either put it on TV or put it, make it a movie, you know, just That's give right. me a part of it. I'll be like the old Harrison Ford. Oh my God. We'll give <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they can find a part for you. They can find a part for me. I'll say, who wants to jump the fence today? <laughs> well, in you know, in 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 the book, I you know, it really starts off with me going to the police, uh, to the police station. So, so there's definitely parts for for the for a police. Officer. Lizzie, someone in the chat asked, uh, "How are your siblings today?" 
my siblings um, all are on a different journey. Um, you know, I, I'm the only one um, that has wrote a book. I, I tell them, you know, all of them could, all of them have a unique story that need, you know, can be told. And like I said in the in the book, that one, my youngest brother also does not know who who his um, um, dad is. So, you know, it they all have stories, um, all different ones. All are going to have a different perspective, you know, or relationship. With what, were them. they all sexually abused? Um, my brothers, not to my knowledge, um, but my sister was. Okay. Unfortunately, by the same same relatives. Wow, that's that's horrendous. You know, we're at we uh, actually just at the hour point, and I usually like don't like not that I couldn't stay talking to you for another half hour. It's been my privilege and pleasure to interview you, and Molly, it's been great to have you here. Also, even though I can't really see you, right, but no, I, but I have I, I have a picture of you. I know I'll put your picture up on the screen so people will be able to see you. There oh, there I am, yeah. There she is, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's Molly Maeve Egan. That's Egan with an E-A-G-A-N. Right. <laughs> I messed it up the first time, but that that's uh, that's Molly from Brooklyn. And, okay. um, yep. <laughs> so, um, again, uh, the, the book is uh, Behind Blue Curtains, and uh, you can get it on Amazon. And I just want to, uh, Lizzie, you have any final uh, words to say to our audience or uh, anything you'd like to say or anything you want to plug? You know, uh, you got a new rock and roll album coming out, uh, you know, the Barn Burners or anything. What are you, Jumping the fence. <laughs> Jumping the fence. Liz, Lizzie and the five fence jumpers, you know, what do you got? Um, I guess the only thing I'll say is that um, I am the co-founder of Voices of Hope events, and we do conferences twice a year, and it's just for women. Um, but that's what that what we kind of do on the side, and I do the victim services volunteering, and I just I'm just here to help people. If if there's anybody that needs to reach out and maybe doesn't know, you know, whether they were assaulted or they you know were abused or not, I encourage reach out to me or somebody, Molly or somebody. There's lots of organizations out we're here to help and encourage um others to uh find healing you know find what what uh what what you can do to to heal from your uh because you know lots of us have suffered certain traumas and things and figure out what what works for you and and again i want to thank you bill for having us on it was a pleasure well you know it was really uh you know you're usually not in the um realm of people that i reach out to because here we do a lot of cop stories, we do a lot of, you know, but it was a great story. And as soon as I saw your book, I was like, I contacted your publicist immediately. I said, I'll interview her. And she, I was like, and then you guys got back like two days later, which was great. And I'm sure you were as, were as excited as coming on Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories as, as I was to have you. And we were, uh, we it, was, it, was, it was great. And you're, just, and you're a great person. To be able to put this story out there, you risked a lot for, in, you know, putting it out. Even your family didn't know anything about it. And uh, it, you took lots of risks and many people will benefit by your courage. Thank you. Molly, any final words? Um, you know, not really. I, this was um, a, a fabulous journey. Like I, I loved working with Lizzie. Um, you know, I'm still out here. Like this inspired a whole movement. And there are lots of people now involved, and we're 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 coming for those those plane predators. 
That's well, you know something. All, all I can say is keep keep on keeping on, and uh, we all in the police off the cuff family, the real crime stories really admire you guys. So with that said, Thanks. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff After Hours Real Crime Stories, and for Lizzie Herzberger and Molly Maeve Egan. Good night, everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs>